นโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังฆังนัมสามิSo I thought today seems you get uh, some regular uh, uh, meditation instructions and uh, you know, from various teachers. But I thought today I would uh, perhaps talk more broadly about uh, cultivating the mind, cultivating attention, cultivating awareness, cultivating the heart. In uh, one's daily life, since uh, for, imagine for most of the day, you're not sitting cross-legged in a quiet hall. Most of the day, you're doing things, interacting with people, and uh, having to make decisions about what you do, where you go, and surrounded by sights and sounds, not in a secluded atmosphere. So these secluded atmospheres are precious. But we have to be realistic and recognize that they are uh, a relatively small proportion of our time. And even if we do have those occasions, then it's important to cultivate those occasions. So what we learn in our times of meditation, introspection, we begin to learn that, develop wisdom from that, um, see what our habitual tendencies are. And then enter our daily life with a little more understanding of what we need to work on in terms of our habitual tendencies. You know, in other words, working on our karma. So karma is the both the old karma, which is the habits that we have, mental habits, psychological habits, and uh, how, based upon those, we then keep acting in the same way. And keep this whole thing perpetuating. So, and in fact, when we look into the Buddha's teaching, much of that is about uh, yeah, cultivation of generosity, morality, gratitude, uh, harmlessness, um, wise reflection, companionship, proper duties, uh, and ways of behaviour. In fact. Um, it's it's quite it's slightly incorrect to say the Buddha taught the Dhamma. He taught the Dhamma Vinaya, and Vinaya is the ways of uh, training. And Vinaya, the word means that which leads to the dispelling or the breaking up, the dispelling, breaking up of accumulations of the uh, habit, habitual patterns. And so when you consider the Vinaya, then you may think, oh, this is the monk's training rules. Monks' training rules are vinaya, and they were laid down. But the uh, view and the vision of vinaya, of training oneself, is relevant for all people mm. who are interested in finding a way out of uh, suffering. And it's also in, in not quite correct to say that you know the vinaya for lay people is the five precepts. It is, but there's a lot more to it than that. So even with the bhikkhu training, 227 training rules, there's a lot more to it than that. 
and in many occasions most of those training rules don't even have any relevance anymore they're like we don't have to deal with issues around traveling on caravans of thieves or visiting head chamber, uh, bed chambers of head anointed kings or storing ivory needle cases or you know things that were obviously big issues in those days <laughs> that are just no longer necessary so in our uh, training nowadays we're always creating new standards based upon the old standards so we have you know monasteries you have computer policies so people don't spend hours and hours uh, gazing into the internet and surfing all over the cosmos <laughs> and we have uh, so we have policies around that we have policies around uh, uh, maintaining silence silent times in e- in evenings and mornings we have these things called the core what which re- really the repeated duties and we have duties which are about what we refrain from and we have to keep revising those because the world in general is always providing us with more challenges that we have to refrain from <laughs> yeah. and also we have duties that are not about refraining but actually firmly picking up so picking up duties to the elders out of respects, duties to guests who come and visit duties that one has as a member of the community towards one's teachers and peers and even junior people, nuns, monks, the duties we have towards them duty we have towards the lodgings to keep it clean and tidy and never to consider the lodging as belonging to oneself so we always cultivate our lodgings in such a way that the idea is they could say oh could you please leave and you could pick up your stuff within half an hour or so and leave and somebody else could move in and we do this regularly at our monastery in Sussex West Sussex that is a person gets six weeks in one dwelling and then they move when you do that eventually you start trimming down how much stuff you have because <laughs> you don't want to be carrying tons of stuff on your back every six weeks usually you get the message <laughs> So sometimes you go into a kuti and it's like nobody's living there. There's just one bowl in the corner and a rope hanging over a pole and that's it. <laughs> you know, these people are leaving a very light footprint because that sense of, you know, it's a training. And I think these things build up. You stay in a place for a long time, gradually give you more books and then maybe some letter writing equipment and then maybe somebody gives you an, uh, an ornament, you put it on a shelf and then and somebody gives you this and you put that there and you get an extra pair of socks and you put that there and then you get you know and it gradually builds up so this principle of being of moving around and living in community is a very helpful one because then we just keep reducing uh, what we gather and then you put it in the community store and if you need it you can ask for it you can get it and somebody else can share it it makes you feel very good because so much of the time when you look at your possession, you think, actually, how many of those books am I going to read? You know, I read that one three years ago, got 50 books, and, you know, I might be reading one or two. That's it. The rest of them are just occupying space. Uh, and so I have this own principle in my own mind. I train, I look at the thing. Would I sooner have this item 
or would as soon have the space yeah so using that as a training or you look at something would I have sooner with that sooner have that there or would as soon have the space because I can't have both space is what I like <laughs> and I generally what I do often is put them things in a box put them just out on a, one cold of the cootie if I haven't used it within a week go <laughs> this is a good thing to do just because it keeps reminding you you know uh, freshening up keeping these clean and clear mainly because what we find with possessions is that you don't really possess them, they possess you. <laughs> you know, you have to keep looking after them and then they break down, you fix it, and then you've got to worry where you do put it and you keep it clean. And hey, I spent a lot of time looking after this labor saving gadget. Uh, <laughs> and you know, you can see this is really quite a problem these days because, you know, I, I go somewhere, I, when I was a boy, we used to just push a button to switch a light on and now you can't do you have to dim a switch exactly the right and it takes sometimes three days to find out how to switch the light on or off because <laughs> all these different cool light warm light you know neon or, you know what kind of exactly kind of light I, I don't really mind just as long as i can see you know <laughs> but you get all these various options which the idea is to make it really comfortable but actually having to handle all these options it's quite uncomfortable you know what temperature would you like uh, you know I just like to be not have to think about it too much and so with this you see you start to look at your duties towards your lodgings and keeping it clean and then the purpose of it and the usefulness of it and the more that you uh, cultivate, so we have uh, our physical possessions, our lodgings, our duties to our guests, uh, senior monks, and then a regular puja, which is a recollection of the whole community, living in a gl global community that goes back through time, so you belong to that, when you kind of think, well, if all these, if all these are my tribe my people these people like Sariputta and the great arahants they're all part of my family uh how what would they think if they saw me doing this <laughs> maybe not <laughs> so you always keep them in your mind and, and when you're walking around where you're going you're living in the sangha community they're like they're walking behind you, you know, uh, no, leave that alone <laughs> So these are duties too for one's welfare. They're not supposed to be duties that are essentially making you miserable or critical, but reminders, be careful, be careful, look after yourself. Yeah. So keeping these clean and, and empty of, of, of uh, building up uh, <coughs> accumulations. And you find that, uh, that particularly as you train in this, this way, uh, that you realize actually what I can do is rather than change the world to make sure it's okay I'll change my mind <laughs> to make sure so if it's too noisy I'll grow patient if it's too hot I'll be patient if it doesn't arrive on time I'll be patient 
If it's not enough, I'll let go. Then the world is perfect. <laughs> you know, then we we learn that the, the perhaps you know it's like the, the most comfortable thing is to learn to flex the mind, make the mind more flexible. And this is a, a feature of, of monastic training. It's surprising sometimes as a lay person one can imagine oh you know if you're a monk or a nun it must be so wonderful you just get all this peace and quiet and time to sit on your own in a kuti in the forest in a hut in the forest and just go into serenity and tranquility meditate you know (laughs) so last year I had uh, five I think five days in the whole year when I was actually able to to stop (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you probably got more than that because <laughs> some of you were on retreats I was teaching <laughs> I was doing the teaching <laughs> you were just sitting there <laughs> and, and that's my pleasure of course the sense of service so I don't, don't, I don't feel that's, that that's a complaint it's just a statement most of my practice is actually quite not busy but occupied, engaged I, you know, most of my practice is engaged, uh, engaged with cultivating. So I cultivate, you know, service. And what I do, I cultivate not, I've got to do this, they want me to do this, this kind of begrudging attitude, but this is my joy to serve. I have, I'm still alive, I still have faculties, uh, I still have some strength. Uh, people wish to, I have something to offer, let me offer it. So then one cultivates a sense of dana charit, dana mind. How can you, and the biggest kind of dana is dhamma dana. And one feels not so much that, you know, one is so great and enlightened, but it's great, uh, great, uh, I'm, I'm pleased that I have something worthwhile to offer. <laughs> you know, so rather than seeing even one's understanding as a personal possession, you see, Oh, this this understanding has arisen in me. My mind has been blessed with this understanding that came from the Buddha and the training, you know, from what teachers have taught me and what the training has done. This understanding has come. It's not mine. Uh, let me offer it. Don't store it up. Let me offer that. And so we live in this way of cultivating a sense of duties and service, duties of giving, how we give respect, uh, how we attend to others uh, fully, completely, how we give our time for the welfare of, of others and in doing so we're cultivating a boundless heart so it's for our own welfare yeah? and we are associating with those who can appreciate. Yeah. So, for example, clearly for a, a bhikkhu such as myself, one is only allowed to teach those who wish to be taught. So you teach on request. So this means you're always teaching people who wish to associate with you. So you see, well, I didn't know these people before, it looks like, but it looks like they're my family. <laughs> you know... When you're a, a Buddhist monk, there are, there are no the only what's, there are really things that there are no such thing as strangers. There's just friends you haven't met yet. 
and then you go somewhere else oh there's some more of them I didn't realize you know so because these are the people who came to see you and came with a, a humble heart and came with a wish to offer and came with a wish to learn these these obviously are my dumber friends I didn't realize I had so many and therefore one is privileged to be able to give and serve so this also is something to recollect a sense of um, community in one sense of using the mind to generate uh, a sense of the people one wishes to associate with and it said in the Mangala Sutta uh, association with the wise uh, is skillful and to not associate with the foolish Uh, it doesn't mean one doesn't have compassion for the foolish it just means people who are unreliable untrustworthy uh, not not uh, interested in uh, picking up skillful conditions not interested in respect they're not able to receive what you have so for these are people you may see you know you may offer but you don't make them your your part of your uh, you don't associate with such people you associate with those who are capable of listening training serving being reliable training themselves this means that you begin to develop a sense of um, kalyanamitta community which is one of the basic resources of the of uh, the buddhist um, community Commun- you know, to be a buddhist is to have kalyanamitta who are people on the same wavelength so we cultivate a sense of community and when you cultivate that sense of community then you realize my practice now is supporting being part of listening to attending to showing respect to members of the community those in the community then naturally forms those who are willing to receive and give back in return begins to form and by and large this is the uh, we say the fundamental uh, experience of the training in the Lumpur Cha set up most of the time what Bapong most of the time what Panana Cha it's community it's attending to the community it's cleaning the place it's looking after the place it's serving the teachers it's going on the arms round it's giving teachings to the lay people it's chanting blessings it's not frantic but it's a steady awareness that wherever you go you work you stay within even if you can't see them you stay within the invisible community the people and you carry them in your mind you live in this psychological world and therefore this then benefits because all the time as you're living in that as you're moving around with a sense doors open you're living like what would how would it be if I'm with the great teachers or the Buddha is this a suitable way of behavior or not and generally you get a sense of I think it's better to be more restrained here and then you're living and then you might also say when would they encourage me put forth an effort you know offer something try something practice with something when would they say that and you've got to figure out for yourself so then we're able to uh, bring forth and develop in our daily lives a mode of practice
<coughs> generally it's around the two principles restraint from that which is unskillful or unnecessary or just accumulating um, often casually done a casualness you don't even realize one's doing just casual accumulations of, of activities or possessions or even you know conversations or entertainments you know is this, is this helping anything is this useful put it, can it be put aside and then also then rising up the principle simply speaking uh, <coughs> is to uh, thoroughly turn away from what's harmful and to having done so the mind is a bit clearer we've exercised some authority over our mind we've begun to acknowledge there are habits that we're all prone to addictions phobias casualness you know non-attentiveness inattention uh, they're all we're all prone to these and these are habits you want to acknowledge and just put that flag on it and then whenever you come to anything of this nature you pause and remind yourself wait a minute is this this counts so this is meditation in daily life and you build and particularly this use of pausing so the fundamental before we go anywhere else with the teaching the Buddha is saying you know heedlessness is the path to death <laughs> that's a very stark statement isn't it Heedfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the path to death. Very stark statement. It means if you're not attentive, balanced, you know, reflecting on, you know, giving attention to what you're doing, if you're just gliding along, you're just gliding along. You glide along to death. <laughs> that's where it goes. You're like in a boat that's going towards a waterfall. The river's going towards the waterfall. You should just glide along in it. Where you? <laughs> Over the edge you go. <laughs> yeah. If one is heedful, one is attentive, one learns how to lift the boat from the stream. Because the act of attention itself lifts the mind from activity. Just it's like pause, lift. Realize you're not the stream, you're not the flow of sights and sounds, you're not the flow of inclinations, you're not the flow of, of desires or compulsions, you're not that flow, that's the stream. You're the boat. Yeah. And you may think a boat has to go in a stream, but no, you can lift it and you can turn it, put it on the island. And this is what the Buddha expressed, there is an island, you cannot go beyond. It is the complete end of ageing, sickness, death, suffering. I, this is why I call it Nibbana. There is an island you cannot go beyond. 
So you lift your boat and you put it on the island. Slips off again, pick it up, put it on again. Slips off again, you put it on again. Now, you know, so we have to bear in mind that we are born in a stream. It's not that you're so evil. It's just having been born, you're born in the stream of the sense fields. They're flowing, sights and sounds are flowing. Some delightful, some pleasant, some soothing. Say, oh, it's nice, drift along. And then crash. <laughs> there was a shark in the river. You didn't see. <laughs> there was a rock. There were some rapids. You know. uh, somebody took me for a uh, canoeing trip a few couple of years ago. This lovely river. You just cruise along in it, and suddenly the river turns. It boat thro- throws you over. Yeah. It wasn't because you did anything wrong, but you didn't notice the current. You didn't, you didn't look carefully and see the rock underneath the water. And so the river flows along, very calm, peaceful, quite enjoyable, and then suddenly, before you know it, you're out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's be careful, because we're born in this stream. And the sights and sounds and thoughts, and tactiles and fragrances, they're flowing. And by no means are they all painful. Some of them are pleasant, enticing. Some of them, everybody's doing it. So you think, well, everybody's doing it, I'll do it. Yeah, but everybody's going to death too. <laughs> everybody's suffering too. <laughs> That's the bit they don't tell you. <laughs> Yeah. And so you think, now, so so we don't have to go blind to lift out of the sense fields. It's a matter of paying attention. That's the quality of jitta is such that it it is more like a boat than a river. It can lift from the pull. And whenever you feel yourself getting pulled that's most important a time to just pause and you can just pause for like 20 seconds or a minute where am I now where am I now not what should I do but where am I now and he may say well I'm in Singapore I'm in a restaurant I'm in the office no that's what it looks like that's what your eyes can see, that's what your thinking mind can tell you. Where do you feel yourself? Where do you feel your presence? Where is your presence now? Hmm? Where is your presence? You know what presence is? A sense of firmness, presence here, stability. Yeah. It's always here, and it's always been dissipated into the sense fields. So when we, I say, well, where are you now? It's not really asking for a verbal response. It's just pointing to the quality of the citta awareness as presence. Presence. 
we can notice the trembling or the questioning or the feelings or the sensations they're all moving and changing and meanwhile with all that as one acknowledges that's moving and changing what is it that acknowledges the moving and changing the sense of the, the presence of chitta as a simple quality of being so you lift to that there's a stillness there point of stillness and if you can do this which I don't think is really too difficult it may sound difficult when I try to put it in words but we can pause where am I what's really here in within this realm of sights and sounds and thoughts and energies and emotions and pushes and pulls and moods and impressions presence is here take your time with that this is being being is always exactly the same being doesn't change in time being is not the person being is not the moods being is not the thoughts being is not the activities being is just being here and that's that's there's a refuge that's an island in the middle of the stream that's an island in the middle of the flood and you can return to that and then from here what is useful, what's important what is going to lead what is the most skillful thing to do at this particular time now doing is always guesswork sometimes by and large people like to get the doing of their lives absolutely clear what I'm doing tomorrow, what I'm doing in March, what I'm doing in April, where I'm going next year, my flight ticket is booked, uh, I've sorted that out, uh, what I'm doing in my work, and how long it will take to get that job finished, and then what I do about my car, what kind of car to get, or how to fix it, what, how long to get rid of that, or buy one of these, get the doing, and put more energy into the doing to make it right, and good and perfect and happy and useful and comfortable and and it doesn't quite work something else needs to be done when we've done that and what we did didn't quite work out the way we thought it would do didn't work out in terms of our expectations something cropped up the plane got cancelled it's always happening the last four flights I've been on three of them were were delayed (laughs) so they say hurry up you know you plan to get to the airport at least an hour ahead of time maybe two hours ahead of time maybe add an extra extra half an hour in case there's traffic stick to the airport an hour and a half ahead of time the plane oh delayed an hour they sit down they say delayed two hours yeah. so this is always happening you think all that careful planning to make sure you got there on time yeah. 
This is always happening, isn't it? Things of this nature. So doing is really a guesswork. We put so much attention into getting it right, and it still. Hmm? Once the your experience leaves the here and now of your heart, your it goes. Your energies and your attention goes out into a world of many different forces that are occurring, and it's uncertain how what's going to happen, how much you're going to be able to get done, what's going to work out. You just you cannot know. You know, you may get sick, you may have an accident, car may break down, the person next door may have a heart attack, your job might go funny, and so on and so on and so on. So and then we get very, try to really get it really worked out with security policies and in case, and to try and get it right. And it doesn't. And so this lot of get very busy trying to make things secure as best we can. This is not completely foolish, but uh, just to recognize that doing, you just got to keep attentive and guess and estimate, and that's as good as it's going to be, and prepared to live with the, the inevitable breakdowns and mistakes, so you develop a lot of patience. And your doing is much more, well, we'll try. You know, we just kind of see what happens. And this means you're much more attentive to the qualities of, of how you do things. Yeah, because your ability to, to get the results that you're expecting is, even the most highly professional person still cannot guarantee that. You cannot guarantee what the results will be in that sense. This means your attention in terms of doing is, can I do things more with more purity? That's something I could have some say over. I could do my actions with more mindfulness, more composure, more calm, more truthfulness, more honesty, more sensitivity for the welfare of others. Yeah, I could do my actions more feeling more present in my body. Uh, being careful about my speech, I could actually act. The quality of what I, of how I do things, could be improved. This is something I can have some uh, say over, and this is the most important thing because this is where one accumulates karma. Uh, so the karma isn't uh, to be measured in terms of uh, one's job or one's work, but how you do it. And so these are qualities that we um, we take our doing clearly and we focus on the how we're doing things. Am I acting with a sense of modesty or restraint, care and attention, gentleness and steadiness, composure, respect? Then this is skillful action. So when we pause, yeah, we stop, you lift your mind, and then you select how am I going to behave. This is the most immediate thing. Not whether I get it done, but the quality, the ethical, and the meditative quality of what you put into your actions. This is means you're, you're diverting 
bad karma, habitual compulsive actions, and you're re-establishing clear karma, good karma, bright karma. And the results of bright karma, cry actions, are that when you come to the end of your action in a day, you realize, well, that's about all I can do. There's still things that are incomplete, but that's always the way it is. And now it's time to pay my duties to the Buddha, the Sangha, and to this body and mind to sit quietly and contemplate and meditate. Uh, then the results of having lived with clarity, with composure, with restraint, with care, with kindness and service, you receive the results of those. Your mind is already set into the right way, and then you can calm it down, steady it internally. And so then we cultivate, and you cultivate many things. First of all, you know, this quality, this uh, requirement to pause. We cannot assume constant, uh, sustained mindfulness, clear attention. You have to build in definite pauses in a world that is very much obsessive and compulsive and driven. You know. You're not in a quiet stream at all, you're in a raging flood. <laughs> yeah. So to pause, stop, and you can. And something tells you you can't. You don't have time now. It's a great idea, and tomorrow you will. It's a great idea, at the end of the day you definitely will. And it's a good idea, so the next time you have nothing else to do, you will. The next time. But you won't do it right now, because now that's why you've got to do it right now <laughs> yeah. and bring those this, this can be like that just that much so I do this a lot you know, people don't necessarily notice it because it's quite it's often quite small yeah. they just think oh What's he doing? He seems to be waiting for something, or he's not certain where he's going. I know exactly where I'm going. I'm going back here. <laughs> and so you come, they say, What would you like? Yeah, pause. Where would you like to go? Pause. It's small, but it's a constant reset that one begins to cultivate as a habit as a skillful practice. With uh, the uh, monastic training, one of the uh, qualities, one of the simple things is we come into the room, we have the shrine, we always bow three times to the shrine. You leave the room, you bow three times, you can visit the teacher, you bow three times, you leave the teacher, you bow three times, you do a lot of bowing. This is kind of much, is there? You know, is it so necessary? All this up and down? Well, Depends, you know. Mostly it's there to just say stop. Bow. Gives you that time. Where am I? Because without such, these are just a monastic thing, but it's a useful tip. You build in what we call fire breaks from the zip, hurry up. Yeah, easy, bow. Oh, I've got to go somewhere, bow. I've just arrived, bow. <laughs> I've just seen so-and-so, bow. When you come to the new monastery, you know, you visit someone, your friends are out there, 
excuse me, I just got to go and pay my respects to the shrine first, rather than get involved in conversation. That's the understanding, you know. Say, oh yeah, we'll take your bags and sit in, pay your respects to the shrine, bow, and then we come and pay respects to you, and then we can get into our chit chat, you know. But first of all, that pausing. Stop, pause for everyone's welfare. It's not unfriendly, it's just moving to another frequency, another channel, and just stop. And then skillful speech, uh, skillful speech. Mm. Yeah. Recognize that um, many of the uh, unskillful actions of speech and habit arose because people didn't stop for 10 seconds. That's all it would have taken. You know, you go to a prison, somebody, oh, I stabbed him. Why did you stab him? I don't know, we were just heated and arguing and then, you know, I got really upset and had a, he threatened with his fist so I had a knife and stabbed him. Imagine if you threatened with your fist and you stopped for 10 seconds. And you'd have gone, um, just a moment. <laughs> you'd have saved yourself five years in jail. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, this, when we get excited or angry or upset or greedy, and I saw something and I grabbed it. If you'd have stopped for 10 seconds, you wouldn't have said that, would you? If you'd have stopped for 10 seconds, you wouldn't have punched him. You wouldn't have driven the car like that, would you? 10 seconds was all it took. And you you didn't take that, so now you've got five years in jail <laughs> because of 10 seconds. We should remember this. Yeah. Because we didn't take sec- 10 seconds, we've got another five years in samsara. <laughs> Building up more habits, <laughs> you know, building up the walls because we didn't stop for 10 seconds. So you think, I think I'll bow instead. That's okay, it may look silly, but <laughs> I just get into the habit of stop and then check and then start, you know. So these are the things we cultivate monastic, you know, lots of these little points, you know, when you generally address someone, you, you put your hands, you know, Anjali. It's very difficult to abuse someone with your hands in Anjali. I think you're a complete idiot. <laughs> it doesn't happen, you know. <laughs> you may not deeply respect them or love them, but if you just do that, it automatically seems to break, you know, the the... The uh, uh, the mind state it interrupts the mind state it, because the hands know. The hands are telling you something, and saying, "Collect, compose your heart," and, and then you realise whatever he is or isn't, this quality of speech about is not good. And the hands tell you that, and your body tells you that, and the the hearness, the being present, tells you that. Yeah. Pause. So this is the way you break the spiral of habits. You lift, pay attention, you pause, 
you ask where am I what's important now you have a choice and the mind moving fast you want to slow it pause so that that choice it could be just a small choice but it's rather like if you choose to go one degree to the left that one degree to the left is going to take you eventually you know 100 kilometers that way if you keep going one degree to the right 100 kilometers that way in a year's time yeah one degree to the left you're safe one degree to the right you're in jail for five years <laughs> through that turning one degree yeah i feel angry i feel annoyed i feel hatred but i'm not holding the knife i put it down that 10 seconds i let the emotion settle feel my body calm what's important now i have a way of pulling myself out of karma so I meet many people you know I used to met somebody been in the army said every so bad in the army drink you know a whole lot of whiskey in, in the evening just to deaden out he wake up feeling so bad in the morning that he's got a bottle of vodka under the bed <laughs> so you wake up feeling so terrible in the morning you hit drink a bottle of vodka to get over the hangover from the whiskey the night before (laughs) so he just had to just you know um, don't reach under the bed you feel bad you feel terrible just don't reach under the bed bear with it bear with it that's how you break you have to bear with yeah and you do that and things pass this is the way we develop and you begin to see say when you meditate the what are the what are the tendencies that strongly come up in your mind you know? say the, the fears the anxieties or the worries or the grudges or the craving you mark this is anxiety uh, don't act upon it don't try to cure it just don't act upon it you, you know this is ill will, don't try to cure it, just don't act upon it. Yeah. This is craving, don't try to stop it, just don't act upon it. And you, this is a, a system called starving. You withdraw food from these hindrances. And then every time you, you get those qualities arising, you say, well, let's go back to where I am, here. And then you work with the disturbance that occur, occurs. This is the way you build strengths in Barami. So they really, uh, your life changes when you start to acknowledge this is definitely a habit. It doesn't go anywhere useful. That's the first acknowledgement. Second acknowledgement, I don't have to be this habit. This is a habit, it's not myself. I don't have to keep following it. Or at least that's the second training. Third training is to resist the habit. This is where it gets difficult because this is where the pressure starts. Go on, go on, everybody else does. It doesn't really matter. You can change it tomorrow. After all, why make a big thing out of this? This is uncomfortable. You don't want to keep doing this. This is where you're really meeting Mara. So when that starts happening, you know, ah, I'm on a good thing here. (laughs) When that struggle starts happening, you know, ah, I've touched into something where Mara 
is there and he's getting worried he's getting upset stay with it this is the testing point when you meet the struggle having met the struggle you stay and you keep grounding yourself in presence and you keep reflecting wisely and the struggle is there and you're breathing in and out calming yourself, staying in there and eventually Mara has to give up it's called patience patient endurance and this is the the in uh, suttas or in the chanting it says the Buddha repelled Mara through patience this is the fundamental training in the Ajahn Chah's monasteries it's patient endurance you meet the struggle you don't deny it's a struggle you don't even try to change it you just patiently bear with it till the force recedes the stream dries up it dries up because you're not putting any more water into it and then the boat is on dry land your island gets bigger so you carve a make a refuge for yourself first the island may only be a tiny little tiny little point you can rest on <laughs> just a little point when you notice then you start to work on it on where the streams are strong and gradually the island gets wider and bigger till you've got a big enough place to rest on the island gets bigger until the stream dries up then you know you're safe and the streams aren't going to blow you away this is the way we train yeah. So in your daily life, as uh, people very much in the worldly stream, just for your own welfare, I do recommend you train. Uh, train in terms of these stopping, pausing, asking yourself what is important, what should be put down, what should not be followed, what should be picked up, even though one feels sometimes lazy or unwilling, what is responsible to pick up, what is praised by the wise, pick it up, trust it, work with it, build your island, build your island and gather your friends onto it. This is our duty as practitioners. So offer this for your reflection today. Sad, sad.